Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 321 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Gary Kasparov. For 20 years, he was the top-ranked chess player in the world, and his 1997 match against the IBM supercomputer Deep Blue made international headlines. He's also the chairman of the Human Rights Foundation and co-founder of the Kasparov Chess Foundation. And we'll be speaking with him today about his books Deep Thinking, Where Machine Intelligence Ends and Human Creativity Begins, and Winter is Coming, Why Vladimir Putin and the Enemies of the Free World Must Be Stopped. And now, here's our interview with Gary Kasparov. All right, so we're here with Gary Kasparov. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> okay, so when I was growing up, my parents both worked at the IBM facility in Yorktown Heights where Deep Blue was developed. So I really heard a lot about that growing up, and I thought I really knew the story. But then reading your book made me realize that there was all this stuff going on behind the scenes that I had no idea about. And I was just wondering, do you just look back on that now and think how crazy that was, how much stuff was going on behind the scenes? Look, it uh, was more than 20 years ago. Um, I wouldn't call it crazy, uh, though I think on my side, I could be a bit more cautious by accepting the challenge and uh, trying to work out conditions that would be more uh, favorable for a human opponent in this match. Uh, but as I explained in the book, um, for me, it was part of the um, greater picture. It's a, it's a challenge that I couldn't duck because I thought, look, um, uh, it was a great opportunity to to face, um, I wouldn't call it AI, but uh, a new type of, uh, uh, of a player, a silicon player. Uh, and um, having a choice between facing the machine, uh, not on the most favorable odds, uh, or uh, ducking the challenge, uh, I had no doubt that I would um, go for former. Um, though, again, um, analyzing uh, the way these, the, uh, these two matches uh, um, took place and uh, uh, the, the development um, of the whole story, uh, today, uh, trying to be as impartial as I could be, I uh, could point out to several mistakes uh, that I made by accepting the challenge and uh, move, rushing into the battle without uh, appropriate preparation. Well, I mean, like you say in the book that IBM actually hired people who spoke Russian to spy on you. They were security guards kind of standing outside your door, eavesdropping on your strategy, strategy conversations. I mean, I had no idea anything like that was going on. Look, by the way, I also had no idea <laughs> what was going on. Uh, in my book, I refer to the comments made 10 years later by one of the um, grandmasters, the Spanish grandmaster, Miguel Lescas, who was hired by IBM to help the machine. And um, his interview, uh, I think it was even 12 years after uh, the match in 1997, this interview was uh, um, um, quite uh, uh, revealing, uh, telling us about, about uh, means and tools that have been used by IBM team uh, to uh, secure um, uh, the best result. Yeah. I also thought it was striking how much you say that the media coverage was sort of sensationalized and inaccurate. You talk about Nate Silver had this chapter in his book, The Signal and the Noise, that just really sort of misrepresented what happened. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I think that's when we look at the, at the scientific side. And when I say scientific, it's both uh, the way machine played and also the quality of the chess moves. 
there, there was so much uh, uh, um, uh, fog, a thick fog of mythology and uh, simple mistakes and misrepresentations that I thought it would be it would be necessary at one point. Okay, it took 20 years for me. Uh, at one point to um, to go through um, through all these um, uh, mistakes and and uh, uh, fake stories. Um, to um, restore the truth. Again, it's not about questioning uh, uh, the result of the match. It's not uh, about sounding like a sore loser, though I accept in the book uh, and I repeat it a few times that I was and I still is a sore loser. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it's, it, it, the, the whole story about this game one, you know, in, in this presented by Ned Silver is just has nothing to do with, with, with reality. And uh, it, it contained both chess and, 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 and uh, uh, computer mistakes in, in explaining uh, the reasons for, uh, for the final mistake made by DeBlue, where position was completely lost anyway. Right. So, I mean, the way he tells it is that the machine made this really inexplicable move and that that kind of threw you off and, you know, put you off your game for the next few matches. And you say that that's just completely not true. Absolutely not. No, the uh, the moment machine made this this move, it it it, it the the game was already lost. Uh, it could take five moves, it could take one move, but in in a few moves, the game would be over. And uh, uh, making this move, it was equal of throwing the white towel. But as I say, it's if you if you look at at, at this game, and by the way, at all other games of the match, using modern um, technology of the chess engines. And, and on your laptop, I mean, you will see that uh, um, the most sophisticated chess engines today, they will see the end even a few moves before this mistake was made. Uh, it's very, it was very clear that machine was uh, going down and uh, this uh, mistake, whatever was the cause of this mistake had nothing to do with the result and definitely I paid no, 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 no serious attention um, uh, to this um, uh, final, um, I wouldn't call it a blunder or mistake because again, it's the, the game wouldn't last uh, for too long even without this, uh, uh, this move. Do you know if Nate Silver is aware that that's inaccurate? And if uh, you know, there's been any attempt to correct that? Because you say all these uh, news outlets, including Time and Wired, uh, have repeated that that story. Look, uh, that's why I wrote the book, and it's, it's, I uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to just go um, uh, uh, over this story with him or with whoever, and just you know to explain that it's uh, it's it was absolute nonsense from from um, the computer point of view. Um, and uh, again, I, I I would like to just to. Um, I go back to the point I made a couple of minutes ago about m modern technology, chess engines like Stockfish and Commodore. Uh, I think many people do not re recognize the simple fact that the free chess app on your mobile phone today is probably stronger than Deep Blue. And of course, when we talk about um, uh, the specialized chess engine on dedicated hardware, they are much, much, much stronger. I mean, there's no comparison. So that's why if you want to analyze the games of this, of this match, you can simply use this chess engine that, that can be installed on your, on your laptop, and you'll just realize that while I made tons of mistakes, I mean, Deep Blue game was, uh, uh, I would say, far, very far from perfect. Right. And I think it's so interesting because you say after this match with Deep Blue, you got interested in the idea of what if a human were to team up with a computer to take on a computer? You call that advanced chess? Could you tell us about yes. that? Yes. Um, again, it was quite natural, you know. So after licking my wounds, you know, I had to think about the future. Um, there I, I, I wasn't uh, sure at all that uh, the game, human versus machine, was over. 
But I knew it uh, would be um, it it would end in a foreseeable future. Um, uh, I, actually, I played two more matches with uh, strong chess engines um, in uh, um, 2003 uh, with a, with the German chess engine Fritz and Israeli chess engine Junior. Those matches ended as a tie, so 2-2 and 3-3. Uh, but that was almost the end of this competition. And uh, later, a couple of years later, uh, Vladimir Kramnik, who was my uh, successor as a world champion, he, he lost to, to this German engine, uh, Fritz. Um, and it's, basically, it was over. Mickey Adams, the strongest British player at the time, was crushed by another computer called Hydra. So by 2005, 2006, the competition was over. And I could foresee it in 1997, 1998, thinking about um, um, my loss and uh, looking for an opportunity to turn this uh, painful but useful experience into something uh, that uh, uh, could benefit uh, not only chess players, but potentially all other researchers. Right. And now, I'm not a good chess player. I mean, like I was in chess club and stuff like that, but I'm at a, at a very low level where I would even make a move and then someone on the next turn would capture my queen or something. And I'd just say, oh, I, I can see that. That was, that, that was pretty stupid. But and you but you say, I mean, but there was always sort of a feeling of unfairness with that where it's like, oh, well, wait, I just didn't see that one thing, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to focus on this, the, the overall strategy. And you say that when you're playing with a computer, that's kind of that's what it's like that. The, the computer will, will prevent you from making any stupid blunders. It'll prevent you from not seeing things like that. Oh, I know. It's not just about stupid blunders. I mean, machine, uh, machine can secure uh, your game from uh, uh, making serious mistakes, um, uh, even at grandmaster level. But the, uh, the trick is that it's not simply now uh, bringing human and machine together, because at the end of the day, it's, um, it's for human to make a decision whether you want to uh, switch on the computer mode or you just want to um, be advised by the machine, or you want to provide assistance for the machine. So it's, um, it's, it's about the right combination. It's about the right balance. And uh, uh, in 1998, when I first introduced this, uh, machines were good when we're talking about chess engines, but they were not that good to dominate the game. Today, the situation is reversed. Uh, uh, the strongest chess engines, they are much stronger than the current world champions. So the gap between... Uh, Stockfish or Commodore or Houdini leading chess engines and Magnus Carlsen, uh, Norwegian world chess champion, is the same as between Magnus Carlsen and a player from an international open tournament. Um, so there's no, there's no point of, of competing, uh, competing against the machines. And obviously, bringing humans and, and machines together means that humans will have to look for... Um, for um, machines deficiencies and uh, and the territory where humans can make valuable contribution has been shrinking rapidly but but having said so it it it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that human contribution is irrelevant i think still think that machines are struggling with flexibility machines uh, they they know the odds but um I think it's applying the, uh, the um, previously acquired knowledge to a specific situation may take time and machine could be wrong. So the trick is that by bringing humans and machines together, now we're talking about chess and, and any other activity where human-machine collaboration could be useful. Um, it's, it's, it's about finding the right person, not necessarily the best player, the best talent, but someone who understands the machine 
and someone who could guarantee that uh, the combined performance would be as close to 100% as possible. Right. I mean, I thought that was so interesting that the the best players are not necessarily the best, you know, machine collaborators. Um, uh, absolutely, absolutely not. It's just, uh, to the contrary, they, it could be counterproductive because the best players they 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 used to play their own game. So um, even recognizing the fact um, um, that machine is much stronger today, and and in most of the cases you should rely on, on, on machine judgment for top player, world champion, and, 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 and uh, other players who are uh, 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 close to him by strength, it will be psychologically difficult, very challenging, uh, almost impossible to recognize this fact during the game when the emotions are running high. So that's why you should find this, 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 this golden, you know, um, uh, golden balance of a good player, a decent player who understands how to play, but at the same time, who will know exactly what are the requirements of this very machine uh, to, um, to make sure that the, uh, the, um, the, the, the problem that machines still cannot solve, and I am saying it could be ranging from either 10 to, to uh, 2% um, of, the, of the territory where machine is not uh, perfect, so I would rather say it's probably 10 now, uh, but how to make sure that... Uh, um, uh, these these problems can be solved by by very gentle human inter- I- interference. And again, it's chess is a perfect field to test this collaboration. But I think the 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 real effect that could help the humanity uh, um, uh, goes way beyond black and white board. Right, because you say that uh, if people are considering a career for the future, being someone who shepherds AIs to accomplish tasks would be a good field to go into. Absolutely, I think it's uh, it's um, it, 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 there will be many many uh, uh, more new jobs uh, created in the uh, in the nearest future that will require um, very unique understanding of the way machines work. Um, I don't think that uh, machines will ever get to 100% perfection. I think this is something that um, uh, it's it's, it's it, it, this is the thought that is is, is tormenting the public. Um, because people believe that uh, uh, that uh, one day this, all these nightmares from Hollywood movies, all these dystopian visions of the future could materialize and machines will make us redundant. But I think it's, um, it's not about machines uh, being perfect, but it's about machines doing things better than humans, uh, which means still there will be certain um, imperfection. And, uh, and in, in every specific task, for every specific machine, uh, in every specific field, you will need those experts that will fit perfectly uh, the um, so the, 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 the remaining part of the problem. So whatever is whatever, whatever is um, not uh, covered by the machine's intelligence uh, will require human contribution. And uh, again, it's not it's not universal because I say every task every, in every field uh, um, uh, with every different computer will will require um, uh, very very unique understanding uh, from from a human collaborator. I mean, if someone wants to gain that sort of understanding and go into one of those fields, is there a career path laid out? Are there classes you can take or degrees you can get that would be useful for that? I don't think we are we're yet there because I think it's just people are just uh, they they either uh, they either are scared of thinking. Uh, about the future, or they uh, they believe that it will fix itself. Um, and I'm I'm I've been preaching for last couple of years uh, 
the beginning of the era of human-machine collaboration. Um, and, um, and I think we're, we're yet to enter the era of machines that will um, uh, be a perfect fit for, for humans to work together. I'm talking about machines that will um, generate uh, its own data. So machines that will generate their own knowledge based on the uh, rules um, provided by humans uh, or by, by the framework. So machines that will be able to um, collect its own data, actually generate its own data, and, and the human role will be um, analyzing it uh, and the, just building the strategy. Uh, because right now, even the most sophisticated computers, when you look, you know, when I'd say IBM's Watson, uh, they're mistakenly called AI, but we're still talking about machines that are doing nothing else but data crunching. Very fast, very sophisticated, yes, but, but we, are, we are just um, seeing the, be the beginning of a new era, and uh, I believe that that's, that's be connected with, with programs like um, um, AlphaZero, um, developed by um, that Google team, DeepMind team, led by Demis Hassabis. And that's the beginning of, of uh, um, the new, um, I would say, a dawn in these human-machine uh, relations, since we are now looking for a unique opportunity to uh, generate knowledge based on just on the framework that we, we, we define. Well, and you suggest that we might be reaching a point of diminishing returns with how good computers are with these machine learning applications because they all work by basically saying to the computer, here's a billion examples of what I want you to do, do that. And increasing that to here's a trillion examples of what I want you to do might not make the machine that much better. Yes, absolutely. It's the, it's, uh, uh, the mistake, another mistake that is, 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 uh, is made now um, uh, by the general public and even by some experts is that they pretend that the information that machine can generate uh, in, in a closed system could be automatically uh, transferred into open-ended system. And I see no connection. I see no shred of evidence that we are coming close to so-called AGI. So uh, we are not, uh, we're not uh, uh, even close to the moment where machines will be able to actually uh, divide the open-ended space into the manageable problems. Uh, it's unless unless you have human guidance, machines will never recognize the moment when they cross the, the boundaries uh, of uh, diminishing returns. Right. And you talk in the book about how you have just very smart, prominent people like Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk and Nick Bostrom talking about fears of killer robots and AI taking over. Could you talk about sort of your disagreements with them and have you had conversations with, with them about that? No, I didn't. Uh, actually, with Nick Bostrom, yes, I did. But uh, again, uh, it's uh, being doomsayer is, is 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 a good business. It's uh, people people somehow they they are fascinated um, uh, by by this dystopian vision of the future. But I'm just looking at 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 uh, at the facts and at the uh, the latest development of the machines, and. Um, um, I, I would rather rely on on people like Demi Sasabis, by a very good friend, man behind the um, uh, the um, Alpha Zero program, and and uh, other people who are at the cutting edge of computer technology and uh, who are not uh, uh, seeing any any real threat for um, for the humanity. It's not about extinction of humanity. It's about uh, promotion of of uh, human brains. And um, I, I see no reason of just of, of entering this, 
this useless debates because at the end of the day, you know, we have to deal with with revolutionary technology as we did many, many, many times uh, for many centuries in the past. Um, it, uh, crying wolf uh, doesn't change the, the parameters of the problem. And uh, uh, even if you assume that there is the, there's the, the uh, um, uh, uh, the glimpse of truth in, in, in these dystopian um, predictions, um, it, it doesn't change um, our position as, as humans. We just have to find the, the best way to, uh, to work with these technologies because they, they, it's, it's not just the future, it's happening now. And uh, we can look back at, at uh, uh, 20th or 19th century or even earlier and uh, to see how many times uh, great minds predicted the end of humanity because and, and unemployment and starvation because technology um, uh, would would uh, um, make people um, make working hands redundant. Right. I think this book does such a good job of making clear what the limitations of these systems are, because I think people just see they see a computer win at chess or win at Jeopardy and they just think, oh, my God, it's a genius. And I think your book does. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but exactly. But it's it's a closed system. Chess, God, whatever, Jeopardy. It's it's those are the systems where the rules and the frameworks have been defined by humans. And 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 thinking that that's that you know by, by that machine that dominated the field. And by the way, we're talking about specific machines dominating specific fields. So moving into the open-ended system and solving all problems for us, it's. Um, uh, it's a fallacy. And again, there's not a shred of evidence that it's happening now. And I think that in the next few years, people will, I wouldn't say they will be disappointed, but I think they'll be quite disillusioned about machines' ability to change our lives um, instantly for better uh, or for worse uh, on their own. Right. And you talk about what you think the danger of these AI systems are is, is much more mundane stuff. Uh, you, you talk about rising inequality and um, sort of biases that are hard-coded into the algorithms and things like that? Yes, uh, I think we should talk about real practical issues. And uh, um, uh, we should recognize that technology you know, brings both good and bad. And I always say that technology is, is a prime reason why so many people are still alive to complain about technology. <laughs> yeah, so we, we um, live in a world where even without us recognizing it, our lives are getting better every day because of technology. So we live longer, we have better diet, we can travel safer. I mean, there's just so many things that, that we owe to technology. But the, the, uh, uh, the counter effect is that we, because we live longer and technology is getting more sophisticated, then there's the, uh, the disparity between the new jobs that are available and the age of people that will do looking for the jobs because now at age 50, 60, even 70, people feel, you know, strong enough just to compete. But they have to compete with younger people that have a very natural ability to, to operate with, this, with the systems. So um, technology creates this, this, this balance, this disparity, and, um, and we just have to recognize it's, it's going to happen. Because at the same time, uh, you know, we, uh, we, when we complain about our data, private data being allocated, we're willingly most of us willingly share the data, whether with Amazon or with Apple or with Google or with you name it. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's something that, that, that's, that, will be, that will be the greatest challenge uh, for, for um, 
uh, the, for human race is how to actually strike this balance, a very delicate balance between uh, technology working for our favors, convenience and benefits, and on the other side, um, um, loss of our privacy because for the most effective services provided by the government or multinational corporations, you have to share more data. Again, we want more data uh, uh, to be protected, our data, but at the same time, we want better services and, and, and more without thinking that the, our privacy is, the, is actually um, a currency that we pay, we pay for, um, for this improvement, uh, steady improvement. Uh, and another problem, which I think it could be even, even uh, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, more challenging, uh, and that could lead to, to many dire situations, uh, it's about bad players, because right now we're talking about problems in the, in the, um, in the free world. Uh, you're talking about uh, multinational corporations that are still operating under American and European laws, and uh, you can definitely... Uh, look for, for the practices and you can find them as recently happened with Google by European Union, um, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, um, Amazon, and uh, they will have to uh, play the ball because they, 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 have, they have been generating most of their profits and, and uh, they, uh, they thrive under the rules of the, of the free world. But when you look at the other side of the world, unfree world, then you have uh, very powerful players that don't care about the rules, whether it's Chinese uh, dictatorship, whether it's Putin, whether it's uh, Kim Jong-un, Iranian mullahs, or some quasi-state operations that are always looking for an opportunity to break through and uh, uh, to steal the data and just to do, to do us harm, either for political or for economic reasons. And uh, in the world of the globalization, that's, in my view, creates the biggest challenge for us, since we cannot sit on this information, we cannot uh, protect the technology, uh, um, preserving it uh, in, in, in our part of the world without sharing with, with, with the rest uh, um, of, of uh, um, the planet. And uh, um, I always say that uh, capacity for evil is still uniquely human. Well, yeah, I mean, like you hear about this, things going on in China right now where apparently they want to give every person a sort of a social media score. And if you cause problems, your, your score goes down and you have trouble getting jobs and things like that. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that, that's the, uh, that's the worst uh, um, uh, nightmare of someone in, in, in the free world. But that tells you that uh, the data collection by Google, that might be, uh, might be unpleasant or uh, it's not the same as data collection by Chinese security or KGB. So it's it's very important for us to to understand that is the right now we um, we 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 have to look at this dilemma we have to look at at this problem instead of wasting our time uh, talking about killer robots and about uh, the terminators and matrix and some distant future threats that may never materialize um, since um, uh, the the data is being collected and uh, even if the data our personal data is protected by the law of the land whether it's in the UK or the US or in continental Europe, it's still collected somewhere. And, and, and even the most secure um, storage of data can be hacked, as we know. And this data can be potentially stolen. Um, or it could be misused, uh, uh, misused even by the legitimate players for some benefits. Um, so we know the story about Cambridge Analytica, for instance, uh, and uh, how this, this data... Um, uh, uh, influence the results of U.S. presidential elections. Um, uh, so that's why 
I believe that this uh, our prime task of those who live in the free world is to make sure that the rules uh, that are imposed on the multinational corporations that have access to this data, they will um, uh, include the most severe punishment for any infringement of, of our privacy and uh, for any uh, uh, distribution of this data uh, for, uh, for malign, malign intents. Well, you mentioned Putin, and I, I said that I read your book, Winter is Coming, and that title obviously is drawn from George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. So I was just curious, could you talk about yes. reading those books and why you, wa- why you wanted to take that phrase for, from there for, for the title of your book? As you can guess, I'm the I'm a big fan, so I read books. I'm I'm watching the movie, and I had uh, recently a great uh, um, experience uh, touring the uh, some of the uh, uh, spots when they were shooting in in, uh, in Belfast, um, taking my my wife and my my daughter, also big fans of 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 the show, um, and. Uh, um, uh, when I just had a book, uh, actually a book proposal, I was thinking about the title, and uh, you, 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 as you know, uh, it takes 10 tries with any publisher before you can agree on the title. And uh, it was the first time in my life when they looked at the title, Winter is Coming, they asked me, so why? And I said, uh, there are two reasons. One is, um, um, it's... <laughs> Obviously, it's, it's, it's resemblance with 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 a famous uh, uh, with uh, with a famous show. Uh, um, uh, it's a motto of the House of Stark. But um, uh, I wanted to emphasize that uh, the history is not linear. Somehow, it's the delayed response to Fukuyama's uh, 1992 best-selling book, The End of History. History doesn't end. Uh, the evil doesn't disappear, and uh, and it's it's seasonal, so it's to demonstrate that winter is coming, and we just you know have to make sure that we we, we know that this, the cold season uh, just is about to begin. But the second reason is it's it's because as in the book, uh, the winter is not just you know climate change. This winter it's it's man-made uh, because people were not ready for the for the challenge. Uh, that for evil that were coming from the north, and uh, uh, we just have to make sure that we are prepared for the challenge because the damage caused by 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 this geopolitical winter will depend very much on our ability or inability to um, make ourselves ready um, to defend uh, the values of the free world. Um, and uh, it took about ten or fifteen minutes, and they said yes, great, they accepted it. Hmm. Funny enough, the, funny enough, the, there was more debate about the subtitle of the book, why Vladimir Putin and the enemies of the free world must be stopped. Uh, and uh, the the arguments from the publisher was, look, it it reminds people of the Cold War, and I said, yeah, that's yes, it's a Cold War because winter is coming, um, and um, and they were still reluctant because it was somehow. Uh, the the, the the raise some uh, uh, some resemblance with the worst moments of the Cold War, and they thought some people could could uh, um, feel uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, they accepted even even the subtitle. And uh, ironically enough, you know, uh, today when the book is presented, everybody quotes uh, quotes um, uh, the uh, the subtitle because uh, after 2016 elections uh, in America. 
uh, and many other things that happened in Europe, including Brexit, uh, people had no doubt why Vladimir Putin and the Minister of Free World must be stopped. Absolutely. I mean, in the acknowledgments, you say that Putin is a lot like Tywin Lannister. Could you elaborate on what those parallels are? Uh, look, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I was forced to actually make some parallels, and that's why I even had a little exercise on my Twitter comparing the, uh, some of the quotes from Putin and Tywin Lannister, mixing them, and asking people to get an educated guess. Um, uh, I would still value Ty- Tywin Lannister as more capable um, organizer because uh, um, he actually he fought uh, um, he fought some very tough battles uh, um, and uh, and he was not given sort of that such a, um, such an easy start as as, as Putin though there were clear parallels with the way they uh, they, they treated the treated their enemies and 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 uh, the treaties that they have signed that they, they signed. I mean, one parallel that strikes me is that uh, Putin, you say, is perhaps the wealthiest person in the world, sort of like Tywin Lannister. Um, yes, um, I think that's. Uh, uh, um, if we go back to the book, yes, Tywin Lannister was was very rich. Lannisters were the richest, but Tyrells were close. I don't think anybody is even close to Putin by <laughs> the amount of money. Uh, the, this person or group of people can move around. Uh, the, the only difference is that uh, between Putin and the richest man on, on, uh, in, 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 uh, uh, in the world um, uh, is that his wealth uh, is, is tied to his staying power. Uh, right now, he can move hundreds of billions of dollars from Russian um, budget, uh, currency reserves, and uh, and the fortunes of the oligarchs that 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 owe him everything. So that's why we can. It's it could be probably amount close to one trillion dollars. No one on the planet can can uh, come on close by uh, exercising the same control uh, of the um, similar amount of uh, amount of cash um, uh, or assets. Um, but. Um, uh, um, uh, but Putin's, but Putin's um, ability to to uh, to be this wealthiest man, it's it's directly connected to his uh, his uh, control of Russian state and his ability to cause cause problems around the world, and he knows that. So um, there's no way for him to retire. So um, Tyler Lannister probably had had a chance of retire retirement, though. At certain point, after you eliminate so many of your enemies and some of your friends uh, in the process, it's very difficult to um, to find a refuge. Well, and you say that, yeah, that this is one weakness of Putin and his oligarchs is that so much of their money is held in in Europe and America and could potentially be subject to confiscation or something. Sort of like it could be like the Iron Bank of Bravos kind of coming down on the Lannisters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have an Iron Bank, so this World Bank doesn't qualify <laughs> to this role. Um, look, um, Putin, uh, I'm sure in, in the future, the, 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 this, this uh, 20 years of Putin rule, uh, hopefully it will not last too much longer, uh, will be started as the uh, quite a unique covered operation uh, by, by um, intelligence that had uh, no parallel in history. Because we have to admit that, um, I mean, he succeeded in, in infiltrating um, Western, uh, when I say Western, it's the free world, political, financial, and uh, um, 
uh, and business uh, structures, and also infiltrated the social fabric of the free world. Uh, Putin's propaganda machine um, made most successful inroads into the minds of, uh, of ordinary people in the free world, whether it's in America or in, um, in Europe. Because unlike communist propaganda, Putin succeeded in, in, um, in uh, um, selling picture that people can uh, absorb easily. He, he was not, he's not there to tell you that this is the right ideology, the only one that you have to believe. Uh, I call him the, the uh, merchant of doubt. So he's selling doubts. He's basically he's, he's not trying to defend one view or another. He wants to destroy uh, the very concept of truth. Uh, there is no truth. There are no values. We bad. Everybody's bad. Everybody's corrupt. Uh, no political alliances. They know they're based on 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 um, goodwill and 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 uh, um, uh, just for the idea of greater good. It's all about me today, you tomorrow. So and it's just we we fight, we make alliances. So it's a, it's a total chaos. So chaos is the best atmosphere where he can thrive, because dictators they're always far more um, uh, capable in in moving in, into chaos since they don't have to bother about uh, parliament's approval, uh, uh, public uh, um, polling, uh, uh, media criticism, so they can make instant decisions. Uh, and uh, in the situation of chaos where traditional institutions, both domestic and international, are weakened or destroyed, they, have, they immediately have an upper hand. I want to run this by you because I was talking to my girlfriend about whether Putin is the most like Tywin Lannister. And we sort of agreed that today um, he's the most like Tywin Lannister. But it seems like maybe when he started out, he was more like Littlefinger or Varys in the sense that he sort of like Littlefinger. He kind of masked his true ambitions and pretended to be useful to people who were more powerful than him until he had his chance to advance his own interests. And then obviously he's like Varys that he he ran the spy network um, and sort of knew everyone's secrets. Uh... And, yeah, there is actually the little finger comparison is brilliant. I have to say that that's exactly what he did by trying to make friends with with uh, uh, Bush forty three, with other leaders of the of the foreign world, while you know just investigating. So, what would be his options to move forward? Uh, he was very cautious uh, in the first few years of his presidency, uh, trying to recognize so how far he could go. Uh, and uh, at one point, he discovered that uh, he could he, he could go very far because um, the free world showed no resilience to his uh, tempting offers. But you don't think you, what do you, what do you think of the virus comparison? You don't think that's as that's as apt? Uh, no, virus comparison is um, is uh, tempting because virus uh, uh, you know, was you know, running local KGB <laughs> investors. Um, but Varys was, I think, the, he was a spy master who was uh, who had his ear to the ground. So he was receiving reports, so um, collecting data, and of course um, submitting it to his uh, to his superior. Um, but uh, I like uh, Littlefinger comparison much more because Littlefinger was engaged in conversations with uh, um, with uh, uh, top players. And he was very good in actually finding the weaknesses and uh, uh, ways to sort of to uh, get under their skin and just to make to um, uh, make them comfortable by talking to to him. And that's exactly what I think Putin did uh, at the early years of his presidency. 
Um, uh, he was very good in just in, in, in just recognizing so the the uh, the psychological profile of uh, of his counterparts, and uh, it's 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 a classic story of 2001 a meeting in Slovenia where he just uh, uh, made uh, he charmed uh, Bo- uh, um, Bush um, President Bush, who later said that he uh, he looked at Putin's eyes and saw his soul. Right, and you really lay out very vividly in this book, and I would encourage everyone to go read it, just how Putin has played American leaders just for decades. And I, I, if, you'll, if you'll forgive me another sort of fantasy comparison, but I kept thinking while I was reading this book of the line from The Two Towers, where King Theoden says, I would not risk open war. And Aragorn replies, open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. I just kept thinking of that yeah. reading this book. Yeah, it's it's yeah. We can look we can look for uh, for uh, um, sci-fi. We can look for classical literature. We can look for our history of the 20th century. It's uh, there's a certain lessons of, of of the recent history that we 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 um, uh, uh, we keep forgetting uh, that uh, you cannot outlive a dictator. Uh, dictator, uh, as long as he eliminates all the opposition inside his own country, he'll be looking outside. So the outward aggression is, is inevitable if he has enough uh, military and economic potential to, to, to cause harm for neighbors, because he will need to justify his endless term power. And uh, I've been saying for years that while Vladimir Putin was our problem in Russia, it will be everybody's problem. And I have to say that for many years, I feel like uh, shouting in a desert. And many Americans, uh, until uh, 2016, they, they uh, almost laughed at my uh, assumption that one day Putin would attack America in, 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 in the heart of its democracy. Uh, I remember my appearance at uh, Bill Maher's show um, uh, on HBO um, uh, in May 2015. And when I talked about threat coming from Putin, he, he said uh, it was almost verbatim, uh, wake me up when he takes our polls. Uh, and I said, I jumped on my chair, said, that's almost exactly what we heard from Chamberlain uh, in 1938. Um, and it took, it took 2016 elections for many Americans who share this point of view, including Bill Maher himself, to, uh, to change their views and blasting Putin for interference. And I, of course, I responded on my Twitter teasing him and said that uh, it seemed that Putin decided to skip over Poland and went straight to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, you, you, I think you definitely must feel pretty, pretty vindicated by subsequent yeah, events, this, this, unfortunately. This, this, yeah, I know, David, but it's, again, but it's, 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 it feels good. It feels great, you know, to, to be right and, and to look at people saying, I told you so, I told you so. But, but for, the, for the sake of... Um, my country, Russia, for the sake of the free world, for the sake of humanity, I want to be proven wrong. I want to see some political will just to 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 oppose uh, Putin's and and other dictators, and uh, and just to find you know some sort of an algorithm that will help us to recognize that it's time to uh, to um, close the gaps between different ideological strains in the free world, and uh, to recognize that. Uh, uh, the, the, the very foundation of, of, the, of the free world, the liberal, democ- uh, liberal democracy and free markets under uh, uh, vicious attacks 
that have been um, uh, funded and uh, mm, initiated by those uh, who are one or another working with Vladimir Putin. Because unlike Soviet leaders, he he's not uh, confined to work with the uh, with the far left. He's quite comfortable working with the far left or far right, whoever is uh, doing the best job by destroying the status quo. And ideally, he would like to see the divide between uh, uh, between the uh, two wings of the politics, uh, having nationalists on one side uh, and uh, socialists on the other side. And uh, it seems that uh, the political life in America now is. Uh, is rapidly uh, uh, moving in his direction. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I mean, as a fantasy fan, uh, this line from your book jumped out at me. You say, cases like this are why Russians and other people living under totalitarian regimes do not see the, writer, the writings of Gogol, Kafka, and Bulgakov as fantasy or even surrealism. Could you just talk about, like, what, are there particular works by those authors that you think Americans should read to, to understand the nature of what we're dealing with now? Yeah, but it's uh, yeah we can continue the list of of of, of authors and and I uh, think that maybe speaking to many Americans, even those who were you know um, who were well educated, who read uh, George Orwell and uh, and they still had difficulty recognizing that it's it's not uh, just a dystopia from uh, uh, from a distant future. This is this is more or less was the uh, accurate description of the lives. Of of uh, people who live and unfortunately still live under dictatorships. Um, uh, only today in America we could see people just uh, uh, recognizing the potential threat to democratic institutions uh, and complaining about uh, dictatorial tendencies in, in in the White House. And uh, it's still difficult to explain to them that. Uh, while they, there are problems in America that I believe can be solved through the uh, normal uh, democratic process uh, in the elections, in many countries, uh, and we're talking about uh, uh, probably 4 billion people, or if not more, uh, living um, um, in uh, unfree states, um, uh, ordinary citizens, they have no, uh, no tools, uh, no opportunities to... Um, uh, change the government without violent means. Yeah. And and again, I would just really strongly recommend everyone to read this book, Winter is Coming, because it explains these things so well. Um, I, want, I want to ask you too, I mean, speaking it's, of... It's a, it's, a, it's, a pers- it's a personal experience. You know, that's, 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 I, I live in America now and I travel around the world. I, unfortunately, I can no longer visit my, my country, Russia, because it will be one way one-way tickets, and I always buy a round trip. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but uh, now, just it's just, just recognizing that in the in the world uh, uh, that um, where the information travels uh, instantaneously, where you can learn about uh, uh, a tragedy in 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 in, Thai, in 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 the cave in Thailand, or in the earthquake. Uh, uh, in South America or another disaster in Europe or in Africa, so you cannot pretend that you have uh, you have your own world that will not be infiltrated by by the influence uh, coming from the bad guys. So uh, defending democracy, defending human rights uh, uh, outside of the perimeter of the free world, it's mandatory because if you don't do that the opposite forces will cross the boundaries. It's, as, as you just said, you know, we are at war. You like it or not, call it a hybrid war, call it a new Cold War. Whatever it is, 
you know, we are under um, uh, permanent assault uh, from uh, the forces that view democracy and, and human rights and all the core values of the free world as the imminent threat to their very existence. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you, I mean, or I wanted to recommend some science fiction to you if you haven't read it, but there's a story by George R. R. Martin called Unsound Variation, which is a time travel story about chess, which is really, really good. And there's an... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, good. good. Yeah, I was just always, always happy to, to have an advice to read a good book. Yeah. And then there's a, a novel by Ian, the Scottish author Ian M. Banks called Player of Games where it's about um, there's an alien civilization and they determine their ruler. And it's a very, you know, totalitarian, autocratic, evil alien civilization. But they determine their leader uh, by playing a chess type game. And so uh, someone who's really good at that game goes in to try to improve the society by by beating their king at this at this chess type game. And I just thought if you, if you haven't read that, you should definitely check it out. Okay. Um. And then um, I thought it was interesting in the in the book you mentioned the story by Isaac Asimov, the feeling of power. And uh, my fourth grade teacher read this to us when I was a kid. I just love this story. I've never heard anyone have, else ever really talk about it, but but I just love this story. Could you just talk about why you wanted to to mention it in your book? Yeah, and I thought it would be again. Just uh, I thought it would be uh, appropriate uh, uh, parallel again, just just to to uh, it, it's. Um, uh, of course, it's an exaggeration as, as every sci-fi, but I think it uh, uh, it had a grain a grain of truth to to into the human machine relations. Right. So the premise of the story is that it's in the future and computers do all the math to the extent that humans have forgotten that it's even possible to do math without a computer, and they just take the the answers that the machine spits out as oracular and uh, incomprehensible. And someone has actually figured out that it's possible to do arithmetic just on a piece of paper yourself. And this, this is sort of a, a revelation to the society. Yes. But it, it's, I think that's, that's important that, you know, that it's, it's uh, um, the whole idea that it's the, the two civilizations that faced each other uh, are using computers. They were on stalemate. They couldn't win the war because machines always could predict the moves from both sides. And, uh, and the, this human inter- intervention, so the little extra uh, that looked insignificant, uh, still could actually uh, have a decisive effect because even the tiny, tiny contribution, so uh, tiny change of an angle uh, at such massive power could dramatically uh, uh, in the, uh, change the impact of, 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 of your hit. And uh, um, I thought it would be, uh, it would be a very uh, good demonstration of ability of humans, uh, even if, it, if, if they, they, they look uh, uh, unprepared to deal with this massive computer power, still, you know, the, uh, the human factor uh, could, uh, uh, make, could make a decisive difference. And do you think, I mean, it seems like the story really says a lot about the dangers of people just mindlessly parroting what the computer says, because the computer is always right and not thinking for themselves at all. Yeah, that's the that's what I saw in in, in young chess players uh, working with them under the um, uh, auspices of Kaspartas Foundation. So for many years, I've been uh, seeing the the best uh, players, ma- mainly in, in the U- U.S. Um, uh, young players, and uh, uh, I could see them making the same mistake, which is probably not a mistake, but it's just a, it, the way they actually see the world is that. They used to work with computers to collect data from computers, 
And uh, when, analyze, uh, when they analyze the games and they present their analysis, they always rely on the machine's assessment. And uh, I always try to, uh, to take them sort of away from, uh, from this route, asking uh, uh, questions about the, um, the reasons why certain moves are not good or, or, uh, or, 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 good, or good ones. And uh, quite often, they simply don't understand the question. Because they, they used to look at the machine sc- at the computer screen, and if machine says it's good, it's good. So why should we think about the the roots uh, um, of of uh, this uh, evaluation? Uh, what, what what was the cause of of this um, of this change in the position? Um, and I think it's um, it's a mistake that is is being made uh, not only uh, in chess but uh, all over the place. Uh, whether it's in education or in business, I think people uh, uh, being some are being enslaved by machines. Our, our minds being hijacked because we just look at the screen and we don't recognize that for us to make the difference. Going back to the Azimov story, it's very important to actually stop collecting data and make a decision. It's psychologically very difficult because you think, oh, I, I would rather collect more data, but that's everybody can do. We have. We have the same access to the same data. The, the, the difference could be in split of a second, you know, moving your finger or your mouse. Uh, but the, the real difference could be made by, by adding human um, emphasis to the equation. There was a recent documentary by Werner Herzog called Lo and Behold about technology. And there's a funny story in there where um, he talks about this this girl who uh, she would go to visit her boyfriend who lived 10 minutes away and she would always follow her phone, you know, the, the driving directions on her phone to get to his apartment. And at one point her phone died or broke or something. And she realized that she couldn't find her boyfriend's apartment, you know, even though it was only 10 minutes away and she had driven there dozens of times, whatever. Uh, without the phone, and you know, she so so outsourced that knowledge that it was just not in her brain at all. Mm. Look, uh, yeah, uh, 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 again, it's just the. I think these this kind of stories they 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 can scare people off because that's the um, that may uh, that may uh, um, help them visualizing sort of the sort of the. Um, the, the doomsaying scenarios, but um, I'm again, uh, I, I I treat these kind of stories as, as and 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 and, uh, and predictions as uh, and as something that might happen, may not happen, but at the end of the day, so uh, we just have to recognize that uh, it's the, the every revolutionary breakthrough in technology or in in, in our social life. Uh, carries unpredictable consequences. And uh, uh, trying to predict these unpredictable consequences is counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's a pretty rare occurrence, that thing. And, it's, and I'm sure it all worked out in the end. I mean, she found her boyfriend in the end, I'm sure. So it's not worth panicking about. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, but again, as I, you know, I, uh, <laughs> um, there, will be, there, there will be cases uh, caused by, by our by by the development of technology and also by by releasing so more and more potential of human mind and body, uh, but uh, uh, I think it's just trying to pick up certain unique cases and try to um, just to put them as the as the dire warning for the future of humanity is is not 
is not a productive way of discussing the uh, discussing our future. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're, uh, we're all out of time. So do you want to just, um, do you have any other final thoughts or are you working on any new books or just anything you want to mention? Um, look, I, I think eventually, yes, I'll come up with, with a new book. So it'll probably take a year or two. I think it's, uh, it's time to start, um, um, uh, organizing my thoughts from, from the previous books, uh, just coming up with, uh, you may how it's sort of the you know, overall philosophy of, of, of the modern world. Uh, it's How Life Me the Chess, in my first book uh, many years ago about decision-making and strategy. Uh, winter is coming and, and deep thinking. And uh, so the title I have in mind so, uh, for the future book is The World of Fake Values. Um, it's an, hopefully it will be an attempt to sort of the, the bring together into one big picture the different uh, uh, traits of modern uh, of uh, modern development, uh, because I think trying to compartmentalize the problems, uh, looking at technologies separately from social issues, from financial, from political, it's not going to work. So we just have to recognize so what uh, what did go wrong, why did it go wrong, and uh, so what are the what are the right uh, uh, moves for us to make to actually go back to the to the uh, uh, history of, of success of, of, uh, of the free world. And uh, so how we restore the, um, the spirit of exploration, uh, pioneering spirit that uh, helped us to build uh, um, such a you know, beautiful world. Yeah, absolutely. And I will definitely be looking forward to that because I really enjoyed these two books, Deep Thinking and Winter is Coming. And uh, they're by Gary Kasparov. And so, Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, much, David. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Gary Kasparov for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Lucas Widener, Jibby Jibby, and Gadgetude in the U.S., Johnny Fever 79 in Canada, and Chris Wilson 45 and EE Customer 3366 in the U.K. EE Customer 3366 writes, Amazing. Without a doubt, one of my all-time favorite podcasts. David manages to get so much out of his guests all of whom are fascinating and have wonderful stories to tell. If I could rate it more than five stars, I would. A must-listen for any geek. So big thanks again to EE Customer 3366 for that great review. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Rory Carroll, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.